We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we create, the Arakal people of the Bunjalung Nation. We respect and acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. This is Impact Zone, stories from the floods. This is a space for survivors, first responders and community members to share their untold stories from the floods of 2022 and share ideas about the rebuilding of a community in the wake of a disaster. Some names and details have been omitted due to privacy or the need to protect sensitive information. We acknowledge that story is at times subject to emotion, and whilst facts are important, this space is exclusively for remembering the stories that defined a community in crisis, as told by the people of the Northern Rivers. The story you're about to hear takes us on a journey with Jack Bailey, a local artist and RFS volunteer, through his recounts of the first few days of crisis response. Jack fell on his feet to join a group of brave renegade rescuers who traversed collapsed terrain and the rage of river crossings in the mountainous areas of the Northern Rivers. Some of these areas, such as Maynarm, Mount Jerusalem, the Channon and Upper Wilson's Creek still remain at threat of landslides and isolation. For some living in these areas, we understand that this is the exact allure of the hills, to be separate from the world. The unspeakable horrors for victims and rescuers alike after the rain is what we begin to document. Had we known what was to come. Jack, do you want to run us through how you ended up being in those spaces, um, who was coordinating you and kind of your first inkling that something was going horribly wrong? Um, yeah, for sure. Well, I guess it started on the Sunday evening. Um, the rain the previous evening was really heavy and... I woke probably about 4 a.m. with this really strange intuitive feeling, like just deep in my guts that something was fucking haywire. It was almost like that fight or flight type um, really prehistoric feeling. And I woke up and it was like, holy fuck, something's really wrong here. And then by that afternoon it was already chaotic. And I guess we didn't really realise at that point what the extent of um, the situation was going to be. We knew Mullum was flooded and it almost felt like, okay, Mullum's flooded. Um, people are, their houses are fucking trashed. But, you know, it felt like life wasn't at risk at that point. And um, so we grabbed a tinny. I motivated. It was kind of interesting. A lot of people, we had a huge conversation about it. A lot of people were like, nah, look, SES don't want us down there, um, we're going to get in the way, blah, 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 blah. But something inside me was just like, no, nah, fuck that. I have a responsibility or a duty to kind of make sure that people are doing okay, you know what I mean? So um, we ended up grabbing a tinny and even trying to find a way into Mullum was fucking chaos because bits of the road were flooded too deep to get a car through with a trailer but not deep enough to launch the boat. So we ended up driving up 
up Possum, shoot through, uh, sorry, up through Kurabel, dropping down that way, realizing we couldn't drop the boat because the road had slid or something and we couldn't turn around with the trailer. So a good part of the day was just trying to find a part, a place to launch the boat, which was the first chaotic part. And then um, we ended up coming in through the front way to Mullum, which was quite surreal in itself, going like, where we launch, what road is the best road to launch the boat on? So we got to a spot that we could launch and it was really kind of, we, we kind of thought like, fuck, are we going to get done by the cops here for this? Are we kind of overstepping our boundaries? As we got close to it, there was no road close signs, there was nothing. And um, it was just literally probably 20 cars with trailers, no one official, just heaps of kind of homies and builders and fishermen had just turned up and were like dropping boats in and started doing runs. And I think at that point, just for context too, there was a social media call out um, that went up from one of the Lismore like community pages saying SES needs all boats yeah. out on the water. Yeah. And I think it would have been only about an hour or two after that that there was a revoke statement being like the SES has said pretty much everyone stop yeah, traveling. Completely, completely. So you guys obviously took that and were like, okay, we need to get mobile. Yeah, well, it was kind of it was interesting to have that first call almost gave you the blessing, and the second call told you not to. But I just reacted to the first call and pretended we hadn't seen the second call. You know what I mean? And we knew we we wouldn't get to Lismore. Yeah, we mapped it, and obviously by that stage, you're at every Lismore was already cut off to Byron. So it was like, okay, let's start with Mullum and see what we go there. So anyway, we get down, we launch the boat, which was a surreal experience. Launching a boat on the road. We had to walk it about kind of like 200 metres up until we could get the prop deep enough to get going. And then by that time we're kind of like halfway to the industrial estate in Mullum. And again, it felt quite adventurous at that point. Like we still not realising the gravity of the situation. But then by the time we got to the industrial estate, we were witnessing kind of like cars... Um, just with the, the bonnet sticking out on the top of the roof and windows and we're like, oh, fuck, this is, this is pretty psycho. You know what I mean? So we got further up into Mullum and the further we got, we realised the, the carnage was just worse and worse. And um, by the time we got up into the middle of kind of like this, is it City Road into Mullum? We realised, oh, fuck, people are actually getting fucked up here. And um, there was tons of boats. There were actually there was actually a police boat there. One police lady and a police gentleman. They were actually really lovely and super helpful. Um, there was uh, clubbies floating about surf rescue guys. They were really cool. Everyone was already that kind of like sense of community was really strong. Yeah. So we spent the majority of that afternoon just floating around Mullum, checking on a few friends that had requested. And we check on their mums, their grandmas, things like that. And we found the majority of people didn't really want to split. You know what I mean? And we knew the rain was going to get stronger, but we didn't know how much stronger. We didn't know how much worse it was going to get. But at that point, it was kind of like, all right, well, let's check on these people, see what we can do. We ferried a few people out, um, had a cruise around, knocked on doors, checked on people, all that kind of thing. And, and still to this point, it felt safe. You know what I mean? It felt terrible because it was obviously people losing their belongings but like houses were safe people were safe so it, it kind of felt 
draining but not life-threatening, if that makes sense. So the first day was kind of spent like that, you know, we kind of cruised around Mullum, made sure everyone was cool, pulled some people out. It was quite surreal. There was kind of like this one dude hanging in the middle of the road up to his neck in water and he was maggot. It was just this was blind dude just kind of like grabbing onto boats, tripping out. It was it was quite weird. And then you get up closer to the pub and you'd have to get out and walk and leave your boat there. But we moored our boat in a friend's property. So it was really weird. We were like, we looked over and we were like, what are we going to do with the boat? And old mate was like, hey, boys, how are you? And we like mowed it into his driveway and like moored in his front yard. Had a quick chat to him, blah, blah, blah. Went around, checked everyone out. Everything, everyone was pretty cool at that point. Jumped back in the boat. Figured all the things, ferried a few people out, and then the gentleman's, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but the place we moored the boat, his wife was heavily pregnant. She already had another child, so we got them out of there, helped him move some furniture around, get it up high, got her out of there, and that was kind of the end of the first day. And kind of went home and went, huh, that was kind of crazy. That had no fucking idea. That was the Monday. We had no fucking idea what, what day is it now. Well, today is the following Monday for seven days anyone listening. Days? So it's been a week. You, uh, speaking to most people, they weren't really mobilised till I guess Tuesday or Wednesday, which is when, you know, for a lot of people and what we've kind of seen is people spent Monday and Tuesday on boats because everything was still underwater. So that's when we were dealing with, a, you know, that crisis level emergency response in the water Yep. Because there was still water really yeah. very much around. You would have seen that on Tuesday. Yeah. Where I did guess, you head? I guess the Tuesday, it kept raining, right? It didn't stop. It kept raining, it didn't yeah. stop. So, yeah, the Tuesday um, we woke up and realised it hasn't stopped raining, so what are we going to do? So then Tuesday we drove through Mullum and went to check on some friends in Wilson. So we got friends with houses up there and the water had receded, right? So... We went up there, um, got across. I can't remember how many crossings we got across, but it was. This is when we kind of realized the gravity of the situation had begun. We got kind of halfway up Wilson's, and there was cars in the river upside down, buried in giant rocks. The half of the road was popped off and slid down. Trees were fucking air everywhere. There was a huge slide on the middle of the road. And it was really surreal because the tree in the middle was a big tree, kind of like a. like three meter two three meter circumference tree was bolt upright in the middle of the slide in the middle of the road you just kind of like slowly cruised around that and as you got further you went through this kind of like um cave of trees and you popped out on the other side and then there was another slide and then you looked over to the left and the first kind of real sign of how high the flow and the volume of water that had come down was how much wider the creek was like normally you cruise through there and it's really like subtropical and beautiful and you're like oh look at this beautiful little creek and at this point it was just fucking wide and brown and the sides had been stripped out and rocks were exposed and then you start seeing cars upside down and then suddenly you're like holy fuck this is um this is way more than we'd expected so we got up as far as we could that afternoon with the car, I think that's when Francisco came up and we got across the one crossing that was a little bit dodgy at the time. It was probably up to the top of the door cards on the cars and Fran had his G-Wagon. We are all quite 
cautious about going across because there's a lot of flow and if you get that flow, it hits the side of your car. You're done. It, it, well, you're not done. Your car's done for sure. You know what I mean? Like you could probably swim it out but your car's gone. Yeah. And you don't want to be that guy that just causes more problems. You know what I mean? So. Also, just for context, those cars that you'd seen earlier, like can you estimate how far they had been carried well, I've got down? no idea because I have no idea what property they came from but they could have been like further on in the story you'll get to see the kind of like weight of or the mass that the water could could move you know what i mean mm. so we got there the rubber duckies down the bottom they've got a beautiful yacht that was smashed up on the side and obviously i think reuben must have evacuated the night before so there was no one there it was kind of like quite eerie What's that sense like when you get to somewhere and you almost expect people to be there and they're not? What's that feeling like? Um, quite. Um, it felt lonely, you know what I mean? Like, and I felt immediately felt for them like to leave all your belongings behind, be, just be like, fuck this, I've got to get out of here. I think more so the loneliness came, that feeling of loneliness came from um, knowing what they must have felt to actually pick up and bail your house and just be like, nah, human life above everything else, you know what I mean? So their house was pretty hamstaked. We kind of cleaned up a bit of their bits and pieces that we could with limited, because we hadn't planned. We, we were just going up to assess and we had no no tools, no nothing. So we cleaned up, pulled some records off their bottom shelf, put them out of the way just in case the water came back up again. Yeah. And at that point we're like, okay, well, this is as far as we can go here. The um, crossings were way too um, volatile to walk across even. Yeah. We had no idea what was underneath. There were rocks everywhere. There was bits of the crossing missing and the water was still like pretty raging. So it's kind of like one of those things where you get there and you're like, all right, well, we can see what, we've, what, what we're dealing with here. Let's kind of. Let's kind of assess it a little bit further. I think we walked up. I'm just really trying to figure how far we walked up that night. Oh, no, it must have been the next day we brought the fuel. So, yeah, that that was already probably late in the afternoon. So we kind of like figured out what we could there and then decided that the next thing we have to do is kind of get some get some basics up to people above that the next day. So And at this point, who who's coordinating oh, this? I mean, we always just... Friendship coordination, you know what I mean? Just discussion amongst three friends. WhatsApp or text or no, social no, media. No, just the people that we were with right there. Right. I think we all just bumped into each other out there. It was myself, Fran, another guy, Zeno, um, Guelfo, another Italian mate. Oh, no, it was Luke Backdoor Bridge as well. He was there. Yeah. So at that point we're like, all right, there's nothing we can do here. We don't have fuck all. We've got no tools. We've got no supplies. Let's like um, – so you go into that self-preservation mode and you go into emergency mode and you're like, all right. It's weird, you know, like when you crash a car or you're about to fall off a push or something, it's like the brain almost speeds up into like this macro process where it's going so fast that everything slows down. Yeah. So you have time to make kind of – Split decisions. decisions, yeah. So we're – we kind of sat there, we made a plan for the next day and then we must have bailed back down. So I'm like, all right, well, we know we're going to get, let's go have a conversation about this. And on the way back down, we knew car, Ruben's car was missing, but we didn't know where the fuck it was. <laughs> and after that first crossing, it was probably another three, four hundred. We just saw this, I just saw this silver flash in the bushes. 
and his car was like fucking buried behind a tree, like probably about probably about 700 metres from his house. And we've tried to get the toolboxes open because we knew that these tools were in there and maybe we could salvage them, blah, 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 blah. It was pretty – it was pretty – that was really surreal seeing how far – that was the first kind of time we saw how far that water had moved something of that weight. We bailed, went home, had a few conversations, started calling some people and obviously at that time like conversations were running hot, holy shit, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. But just, we also were experiencing a reception blackout at that time period. Were we? We were for three days from Monday through to Wednesday and potentially I was, I was, are I, you with I've Optus? Got, no, no, I've only got reception back in the last day at home. Yeah, we um in back in the main town where yeah. major coordination efforts and still in Mullum and places like that, we didn't have reception for those three days. So people were trying to pass these like desperate yeah. messages yeah. through whoever did that's have right, reception. That's right, not send and like not send, not deliver. Even to, at this point, we're like, okay, well, fuck, this is pretty gnarly. But still, I don't think we'd had any concept of what was going on at Lismore at this point, you know, or Korokai or or Yukai or any of the other places, it was kind of like for some reason I guess in situations like that you think about your immediate circle and like, okay, what's what's affected that affects me, which is quite selfish, but I think that's just that, again, going back to that human preservation. Also just need to preface to anyone listening, like on that level you can only ever start with where you are and yeah. who's around you and yeah. – You've always got to come back to that before you can help anyone else. So that doesn't need to be a guilty point. I think it is just when you're in crisis, it is what you can reach and how quickly you can that defines the outcome of a situation. So I don't think it needs to be a shame point, but I think it's it's, it's worthwhile mentioning that that is where people have been operating from. Yeah, and I think what you said there, how quickly, you know, because obviously in this in the – desperation of these situations speeds everything you know what i mean like getting getting supplies to people it's like quick 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 and and again you got friends you got a vested interest in things like that so you kind of secure your own before you kind of move on which is yeah again it's not a shame point it's just kind of human nature yeah and if you have more information in one space yeah of course it's yeah, gonna it's give you yeah, mobilization yeah yeah so i've spoke to some friends like that night we realized that we, other friends of, co- of course are up there and they might not be out for a while because the roads are fucked so what are we going to do to make sure that everyone's like safe comfortable blah 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 so i guess the first thing we thought of was fuel and water mm-hmm. the water was ended up being a big fuck up because like I guess it's from like watching all, you know, 48, 40 hour famines and things like that when you're a kid and apocalyptic films like where water's like gold, it's gold. But then after carrying like 60 litres of water in a flood, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, water's the last thing they need. Those communities you were accessing, they, you know, are largely self sufficient. Um, they're com- really so they're running on tank or? Yeah, so they all had tanks. I guess the only thing we thought was maybe some tanks are bust and maybe the water's like. Which you can be forgiven. I think that morning we ran into you at one of the coffee shops and you were just like, we need fuel. Yeah. We need well, yeah, fuel. Yeah, I was kind of like that's I, – I, was, I wasn't panicked but at that point it was like high alert, you know what I mean? It was like, all right, I've got to – I went into like operational mode, you know what I mean, and just went, all right. Ba, 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 ba. And yeah, I bumped into you guys. It's like, 
the first thing I thought was like fuel for journeys. Actually, I think I had a good conversation with my friend Darren. He was like, yeah, we need fuel for journeys. So the first thing was, and then I bumped into you, Cats, and you were like, let's just go get journeys from Bunnings. And you and Ash walked into Bunnings were like, we need jerry cans. We need jerry cans. <laughs> and what's the dude's name? Snake or like? Uh, tiger. Tiger. Thank yeah. you, Tiger, yeah, wherever you tiger, are. Bunnings, fucking Jenny. legend. Yeah, we went in. Bunnings were like super lovely, just like no questions. Grab lettuce took all the jerrys there because they obviously realised. And they, they still the had them on their shelves, which later in the week. Oh, yeah, they were gone. It completely it changed. A but jerry can fucking crisis. As well. I think people need to understand that at that point in town we were, I think, like three out of four fuel stations had then closed. Yeah, we'd run we'd, out of fuel. Yeah, we'd run out of fuel plus I think a lot of the fuel was contaminated from the floods, you know, water in the fuel, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, jerry cans was an immediate thing and I think we got some ropes. But we filled up the jerry cans, um, diesel, a bunch of diesel. I think we got to about 200, 230 litres of fuel between us and then the fucking water. Headed straight up there and this is when everyone's like started dipping in their own pockets, you know. We realised it was cash, a little cash dash at home, so we went and got that, cashed up, got the jerry cans full and headed straight up there, got the car as far as we could and then like, all right, we've got to hike this shit in. And so, that was a, from the previous day, the same area you'd been to? Yeah, pretty much. Had any further crossings cleared or were, were you pretty much well, back? We had no real idea. Right. What was going on up top at this point? We'd had a little bit of like the local local dudes, to, and so we saw a couple of people in person. They're like, "Yeah, you can get across this one. That one. That one's real sketchy. That one's um, the road's completely gone there." Blah blah blah. So we got that, and we're like, "Okay, strap the ropes. Got some ropes. Got some like backpacks. Got some dry bags." And it's just the relevancy for this particular situation and I know there's been discourse about involvement of different government groups but at that point uh, was there any sight of any kind of skilled involvement from any official person? The only people like we saw was the day before, you know, and we thought well, there's no way we'll get up, the government will have, the the council have the road closed, we're not doing the, they're going to note us out and not let us do anything but it was just a free-for-all. Yeah. Which, as you mentioned earlier, was ended up being a blessing, a blessing in disguise because it meant that we could go in, access these spots without having the like, Red sorry tank. guys, yeah. Yeah. So, it's an interesting discourse and I think it's one for later. Yeah. But I think you're right. The fact that you guys had access, whether that was renegade or not, mm-hmm. inevitably allowed you to get to where you need to go. Yeah, completely. Completely, which was... Which was cool. And, then, you know, there's a sense of adventure as well still at this point. Myself, Jai, and uh, Chai, who's now since kind of moved out of the operational field into, like, a management role. He's a fucking <laughs> yeah, legend. Yeah, yeah. Chai and the, everyone at the community centre, or the civic centre, sorry, in Mullum, I went down there and just the energy down there is so high pressure. So high pressure and they're getting every piece of intel, every horror story, every good story, every bad story, every piece of misinformation and they've got to filter that. I, I, I Team mean, of how many there? Every single like person has been doing something. At the front, you know what I mean? Just because there's people at the front taking requests. Doesn't mean there's people at the back. At the back. You know, like, and you're right and I think that's a, you that, know. That's something I really want to kind of impress on people as well. 
Mm, this it's hero, bad. and we've we've talked about this. This I think there is a large fear in the community. Um, and just awareness that often stuff gets turned into like a hero story. Yeah, which is and why I was dubious to speak to media and I still am. Yeah, I understand. I understand why. And I think it's something that, um, you know, you look around and whether you're crossing fucking ravines of water or you're organising blankets into piles yeah, or you're making sandwiches completely. or you're ripping walls out you've yeah, you got to roll one piece out of that puzzle and the whole thing fucking collapses I mean, and i think the other thing that was really really cool about that whole situation and what i really started to understand about this is everyone really understood their roles immediately and understood their skills their specialties and their weaknesses and they just like just jumped into it and there was no like arguing no i'm doing this no you do that I don't want to do that. It was just like, no, cool, let's go. I'm good at this, you're good at that, let's go. So I think to, to say there was a core group or a core, I think that's I guess the more of, visible group is what I should have yeah, said. The it's more, definitely more visible. More yeah. visible. And they absolutely rocked it. Like, yeah, completely. But as did everyone. As did everyone. And I thank you for making that distinction because it, it is one of those monopolising discourses that can cause issues very quickly. Yeah, that, definitely. So regardless... All those people that were dealing with the front end information, it must have been so fucking exhausting, man. Yeah. Because I sat there for two minutes trying to get shit, like trying to get a Jenny, trying to get this, trying to get that. And even I was, I was walk, I walked out of there frazzled and frustrated. I was like, oh, that's let, just give me someone, let me go. So for those, all that crew to cop that like 10 hours a day, I can't, but my head would have literally just like fucking splattered. It was gone. That was the day you guys walked. That fuel, yeah, yeah, that yeah. stuff so up. up. How far did you walk? So, like, obviously, everything up in the hills is pretty old, pretty kind of like rough and ready and raw. Generally, they're kind of like maybe like three inches underwater. You know what I mean? At this point, they were at hip height, the first yeah. kind of crossings. So, once you got your packs, your food, some water, plus the fuel, I don't know how much you're looking at, but it's fucking uncomfortably heavy. Again, this is all. Orchestrated, organized by civilians who just go. We, yeah. Well, you guys just go. Oh, what to do? We just kind of thought, okay, well, we've got friends up there. We know they're going to need fuel. So, So what's the safety for you going through a crossing with? Well, the first, it's kind of just common sense. You know what I mean? So the first ones, you're like, oh, this one's a bit sketchy. Let's just take it slow. Next one gets a bit sketchy. You're like, all right, let's hold hands and carry one at a time. Then as we kind of got higher, there was one that was real sketchy, which we jumped in. It was probably – it wasn't as wide as the other ones, but it was way deeper. So I guess what that meant was that the the volume of water had to pass through a much smaller point. So when it becomes like that, it's a way higher flow, way more pressure, way more current. So I jumped in, tried to wade across. I got across to the other side but realized it was real sketchy Chai jumped in, she went further up, tried to cross a different point, got washed down a bit. We realised that was real sketchy. Jai jumped in down the bottom, tried to cross another point. But um, between the four of us, we kind of figured out, all right, well, we're not going to be able to – I think we got one – no, we got one jerry across at the bottom part that Jai had been testing and it took like so long and it was so sketchy and it was like – fuck, we're going to drop the jerrys in the water and the fuel's going to be ruined. So there's no way. And the last thing you want to do is give someone jerry full of, like, spoiled fuel and they chuck it in their jenny and they fuck their jenny, you know. So we decided to kind of, like, rig up a um, rope system 
<laughs> the ghetto set up because no one of us know what we're doing. Slung a rope around a tree that was quite high on the fur bank because like lasso style. No, no, just, <laughs> like, just like passed it around, like go more like merry go merry the merry go round style. But if you turned up, you'd be like, "What are these idiots doing?" You know what I mean? It was pretty comical, but it worked. So we'd put a jerry can on one end of the rope, strap it around the tree. I was on the other side. And I'd kind of pull it as taut as I could. And those guys were up hard. They'd like slide them across. I'd catch it, undo the rope, and then go and stash it on the other side. So we did all the jerry cans across like that. A hundred litres of fuel across. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of continued up. And we're just kind of dropping it where we thought who needed it, kind of like yelling out, hey, does anyone need fuel, blah, blah, blah. Drop some here, drop some there. Ended up getting right up to the top of um, Wilson's where it kind of plateaus out and um, there was this fucking big mudslide. You walk into this flat kind of mud plain at the start before you actually realise what's going on. You're like, oh, fuck, all right. Well, this is a whole different ball game now. It's like we didn't know how far it was, but at the start you're walking in from the front side of it and you're kind of like knee deep going like, really hard to walk in, really strange, eerie environment. The whole thing's like... And as you get further, the mud kind of like starts piling up and you start walking up on it. And we ditched all the extra jerry cans by now just to go and check it all out. We all kind of split up and we're peeking around our own way. And as you walk up over and higher and higher, you realise there's these fucking huge gum trees sticking out of the mud, like, you know, like metre round circumference gum trees snapped in half, just sticking out of the mud. There's like... Bits and like wire and tele- telephone wire and power wire, power lines just like hanging out. That was the other scary thing, man, because you don't know if those shit, that shit's on. Like obviously it wasn't because the flood and stuff, but being an amateur and just going like these huge wires are just sticking out of the ground. Like, okay, well, is that live? Is it not? So anyway, we kind of like, I guess, scoped that scene out, like climbed as far as we could over it and realized that there'd been a house just completely fucking flattened by this thing. I would imagine it was a good 253 metres wide, you know what I mean? And probably I'd say from the bottom of road level to the height, the top of the highest point of the mudslide would have been like, this is an estimation, don't quote me on this, I would say like maybe five metres to the highest point, you know what I mean? So you can imagine the volume of earth that had moved through that. We're just completely tripped out by this scene, you know what I mean? Because you're in this beautiful valley and then suddenly there's this huge grotesque monstrosity of like chaos right in the middle of everything. And um, we split up and then we kind of like calling calling back in. We saw the road on the other side, realised that there was a way across the road to the other side, decided to come back and get the fuel to take it further through and then we are calling out for giant. Joe had, find this, had found this character um, who was a really, really beautiful soul who had, um, was actually the gentleman whose house had got kind of peppered by this mudslide. And where was he at this point? Um, I don't even know. He just kind of came out. He just emerged with Jai. So I don't know where they'd come from. But, and he'd um, been there for a couple of days so. or at Wednesday. But I don't know when, the, when that had actually occurred. So we were there... Um, we had a quick conversation with him. He was super fucking chilled. He told me the story, which I don't really want to reiterate, but he told me the story about what had happened and the noise and the chaos and da da da. 
And he was really chilled. Like, I would have been, after what he told me, I was like, oh, my fucking God. And it turns out that he'd also has a dog who was stuck on the other side and had been injured, but on the far side of the mudslide. So at this time, we kind of, like, got across the road, dumped the rest of full fuel as far as we could, walked a little bit further, found some other crew. We're like, hey, here's the fuel. We're going to come back. Came back and was like... Dude, we're going to get your dog out of here. And he was really, really excited to get the hound out of there because, you know, he just lost fucking everything. Last last thing you want to do is lose your dog after a situation like that. So one of the genius, and another point I'll touch on is how ingenuitive. Ingenuitive? Does that, doesn't That's sound correct. Right, right? Yeah, it's a real word. Right. It is now if it wasn't before. Yeah. So another gentleman whose half his house had been kind of like swiped by the mudslide was looking after his dog and had set up this stretcher. So it was a dog bed with some wire under it and then these two long pieces of um, steel pipe. So it was like this perfect kind of stretcher, you know what I mean? So we're like, all right, let's get fucking, let's get your dog out of here. And the dog was like pretty rattled. It had been, I guess, outside for a day or however long it was in the elements, just kind of like freaking out and shivering. And we all kind of puzzled up, chucked it on our shoulders, but then we had to navigate this however wide the mudslide was, we had to navigate that with a dog on our shoulder. We hustled across the mudslide and that was probably, to this point, the scariest moment of this whole situation because it was really unstable and it was still super wet and muddy at that time. So at some point you'd be like slipping down to your hips in mud and it was that kind of mud. I don't know if you've ever been there, but as soon as you put your foot in it, it just grasped you. So trying to navigate that with an injured dog with four guys with trees sticking out of the thing. It was like it was like walking through a scene from Apocalypse Now. I mean, everyone else was holding it together really well and, like, communicating and, like, it was working really well, but then it started fucking raining. And my immediate thought was, like, oh, my God, this is going to start peppering down again and we're probably in the worst position you can be in to be getting rained on right now. Like, this thing could slide again. Can you hear? Nothing. 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 It's silent, like birds. Nah, it was just thunder and rain at that point, and us talking to each other. Chai is like further ahead, kind of guiding us through, finding the best best route for it. I'm like, are we gonna get fucking? Well, we're too late. We're committed. We can't just leave the dog here. Got to the other side, and then we have the decision of like, all right, we're at the other side now. It's raining. It's pretty much dark, and we've got to cross all these crossings. Is there gonna be a flash flood on the way back? With the dog on a stretcher. We got dropped the dog. And it was weird, the dog's um, emotion and mood as soon as we got her across the slide and into a, kind of like a dry space changed so dramatically so quick. It was really weird. She was so chilled and so looked so happy once we got her across. But then we made the decision that we had the, the face decision of do we leave, do we stay here? And I was, to, to be honest, I was kind of like, fuck, I don't want to stay here, man. This place is like this mudslide. But... Either that or you go and cross causeways that are like flash flooding. So thank God the rain stopped. We hiked out. We went down the bottom, cut to the car, drove through in the dark and everything was cool. We um, chilled up there. Yeah, so Wednesday was the day that we saw you at the Civic Centre as well. Oh, that, No, that was between the two missions. That was like that was the, oh, so you went out time. after So we went that. out twice. That was do you know the that your morning, lunch we time way, then came back and then went up. Your lunch yeah. time was like four PM. Cool. But I think at that point we're like, all right, well now this is this is what we're doing for the next little while, you know? 
and to see the relief on homeboy's face when his dog was safe and he knew that like he'd lost fucking everything he's got and just be like at least you know I've still got my still got my pooch was like worth a fucked back you know it was worth all it was worth a whole day's fucking torture just for that one moment you know what I mean so that was really beautiful but yet did we know what was to come hey thank you for sharing these stories I think it's something that to be really transparent I understand that there is a level of uh, politics that comes with these stories and we've seen our fair share of what that can look like when it um, extends to a certain point. But I think it's important for us to clarify, especially since I feel like this feels like the grounding interview, the one that we'll lead with, there is not an anti-ADF, anti-support sentiment here. No, completely. Look, my my whole theory on that is you can't be anti-ADF, you can't be anti-SES, you can't be anti-RFS. I mean, I'm I'm in the RFS. The problem is it's not the stick, it's the hand that holds the stick. Like these guys, everyone's on orders. They can't do anything in test unless they're told to do it. So it's not anti-anything it's just like it's a question like how do we do better and why the fuck were we left to our own devices i saw maximum two sets of police officers and one on one military chopper and rfs guy a few scattered rfs guys and some ses people so it's like it's not definitely not pointing the finger at any of those guys it's just why 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 are they so underfunded why are we so under resourced why are we why are we put in these situations? That desperation that majority of onlookers feel, whether they're onlookers from a you know micro lens and they're in it and they're feeling it, or if they're macro lens and pointing the finger does tend to occur in situations like this because everyone's looking for someone to blame. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with a natural crisis. No one's really equipped. Some of my favourite stories are like, you know, people just jumping in in places where they're like, you know what, I don't th- I don't know how to do that yet, but I will in yeah. like, give me a minute. I'm exactly. going to YouTube that yeah. shit. I'm not, I'm, I've seen so many like random crews that I've never seen before. Like just. Of, of coming, just civilians. Of just, yeah, random civilian crews just like popping out of the weirdest places in the hills. Just going like, yeah, we just did this hike. Da, 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 da. Swapping information, swapping intelligence, like it's been like so heartwarming, man. Like, and these people are like doing way crazier shit than we're doing, you know. Like, the stories that come back from those people are fucking. That's wow. Regardless of the spins that can be put in it, I think it's important people understand there was no choice given, and the response that met that lack of choice was resoundingly in favor of human life and we're all really proud of you and you know it's not I'm a proud of every single human that i've seen that's like skinned their knuckles on this thing man like it's it's again just unfathomable just the outstanding level of commitment every single person has just stepped up so hard and it's it makes you quite emotional but it also shows you that like community is the power of the country you know in the direction of the country it's not big business it's not media it's not government like we hold the power yeah and i think we we're going to need all of that that power for the coming months as we Mm. literally um figure out how to go from this 
emergency response to a more recovery-based effort, yeah, please understand that um, your rest is warranted and needed and deserved. It's like looking at the last two years of complete division and manipulation driven. That was the fucking spearhead, you know, media was the spearhead of the division. Thank you very much for your time, Marisha. No, and um, we look forward to hearing the rest of the story and um, just staying present with where we're up to and getting that info out because we we need all of the help we can get here on a long-term scale and I think we're going to need experts to solve some difficult problems and we're going to need funds to actually manifest that well, solution. Think, and I think that's why I've kind of like changed my tune on speaking about it because you iterated that to me and I realised, yeah, we do need funding. Funding's going to be the biggest thing. We do need professional resources. Our community is in dire need of funds to home people as their homes are rebuilt and local infrastructure is revived. We are also developing mental health support strategies for our victims, volunteers and wider community at this time. If you are in a position to donate, please go to channelvoid.com.au forward slash society.